It's your Tuesday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand, back for another day. Hope you guys are having a good one out there as well. Really good show coming up. Ben Gessling joins me here in just a little bit to talk Vikings. It's officially the off season. We are one month from the start of the new league year. That's not the start of the season. That's the new league year where business gets conducted, free agency opens. Vikings, of course, have a lot of questions coming up. What are they going to do at quarterback? What happens with Kirk Cousins? Uh, what about a Justin Jefferson extension? What about Daniil Hunter? What about this? What about that? They've got a lot of needs, a lot of questions, and the clock is now officially ticking. Big offseason for Quasi Adolfo Mensa, their general manager. Big offseason in general for the organization. Ben will help me break it all down, will help me make sense of the money of it as well. He's so good at breaking down salary cap stuff, so that will be coming up here in just a little bit. I uh, got some Twins TV stuff at the end of the show as well. First, though, what I miss, I think we got to start with a couple games. The, the Wolves and Wild were essentially the best versions of themselves uh, out west on Monday night, winning games in basically the way you'd want them to win. Wolves, we're going to start with the Wolves first. Wolves beat the Clippers 121 to 100. And I don't even know if that does it justice because a 40 to 19 third quarter is about as well as the Wolves can play, especially in a showdown of two of the best teams in the West, two of the teams, the two teams that had the best records in the West going into the game. The Wolves now um, in sole possession of first place in the Western Conference. Still a bunch of jockeying going on. There's kind of those four teams at the top, Wolves, Clippers, Thunder, and Nuggets, who are kind of probably going to be battling back and forth for the rest of the year. I don't know how important it is to finish first, second, whatever it is, because there's going to be a lot of this, you know, there's a lot of stuff at the bottom of the conference that can worry you if you look too deeply at it. You know, a team like the Lakers, a team like Golden State, Dallas could end up being a seven or eight seed, could be your first round matchup if you're at the top. You just got to worry about winning games at this point, worry about playing your best, worry about you know, finishing as high as you can to have as many rounds as possible with that extra home game, the home court advantage, things like that. That's what the Wolves seem to be doing on Monday night in Los Angeles, that dominant third quarter, everybody clicking in this game on offense and defense, the ball flowing. I mean, Chris Hines' game story kind of illustrated how how they made really good halftime adjustments, both on offense and defense, kind of showcased, showcased their their process in um, in fixing things at halftime because they were down, I think, four at halftime. It was not a perfect first half. I think they were playing well, but they they had some lapses at the ends of quarters, things like that. They just came out and blitzed the Clippers in this game. Anthony Edwards was good in this game, kind of stuffing the stat sheet, 23 points, eight assists, seven rebounds. Uh, Cat was really good, 24 points, four rebounds, three assists, had a block. Gobert, 17 points, 10 rebounds, four blocks. The thing I liked the most in this game, aside from, of course, the result, um, where you look at the minutes played in this game, and maybe this is a little bit of... A, you know, having a good size lead and being able to go to the bench deep in that fourth quarter. But more than that, maybe it's a little bit of the Monte Morris effect. Monte Morris makes his Wolves debut, plays 18 minutes in this game. They're able to go nine trusted guys deep in this game. 
And the result of that is nobody played more than 33 minutes. Rudy Gobert had a team-high 33 minutes. They're on a back-to-back. Tonight they play Portland. They're on a back-to-back and had 32 minutes. Towns only had to play 27. Mike Conley Jr. only had to play 24 in this game. I think this is something important to watch down the stretch. How do they kind of keep Mike Conley Jr. fresh? How do they get Monty Morris into the mix here? Morris was good in this game, just, you know, not lighting the world on fire, but he was a plus 10 in his 18 minutes, five points, couple of rebounds, couple assists, a steal, a block, just kind of solid veteran point guard play. And one of the things I thought was interesting that they talked about with Morris and something they liked about him is that he's a very similar type of point guard to Mike Conley Jr. I think they were getting good minutes from Jordan McLaughlin when McLaughlin was playing uh, playing more minutes before they made this trade. Kind of seems like he's the odd man out with minutes. He came in in garbage time, got four minutes last night. He's playing well, but he's completely different stylistically than Conley. I think that can be good sometimes when they need an energy change, when they need to, when they need to switch things up. But if you're talking about continuity, if you're talking about wanting to play a similar style for 48 minutes, you can kind of interchange almost Morris and Conley. I think Conley's still the better the better player, the more skilled player, but they play very similar, controlled, low turnover, high assist games. And that was interesting because you saw the fruits of that in this game. Um, and they don't have to play Conley more than 24 minutes in this game. We'll see what they do with him tonight on that back-to-back. But if they can, if they can cut Conley's minutes, if they can keep him out of that... 30 to 32 range and get him down to more of that 25 to 27 range on a nightly, on a nightly basis. Keep him fresher down the stretch. Keep him ready for the playoffs. You know, he's 36 years old. That's, you know, not old in the grand scheme of things, but it's getting up there for a basketball player. If they can keep his minutes limited, keep him healthy, keep him fresh. That will be a key storyline. And Morris takes a little bit of the Conley minutes, a little bit of maybe the Jaden McDaniels minutes, takes a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and it adds up to a successful win for the Wolves. Now, the Wolves are right in the thick of the uh, of the Western Conference race, right? They've been leading the conference for much of the year, had a little bit of a dip there where teams caught up to them, and now they're at the top again. The Wild, on the other hand, are kind of on the <clears throat> complete opposite end of that spectrum, trying to play catch-up. So down at the bottom of the playoff race, you know, looking up at like four or five teams chasing one spot, Kind of a lost cause, it seemed, at the All-Star break, but they've strung a few wins together now, including this one at Vegas on Monday, where they played really well. They get key contributions from their best guys, right? Erickson Eck, uh, Boldy, uh, Rossi, of course, Kaprizov. They're all firing right now, and the, res- the result has been they look better. They look, like I said, the best version of themselves right now in that 5-3 win over Vegas. Clinched it with an empty net goal, had a good, strong third period. Special teams were pretty good. Like This is what you want out of this team. This is what you wanted to see more often this year. And I guess the question now is, do we just accept this as a nice one-off performance? Is there any chance, really, that they can get back into the playoff race? I mean, they're kind of just right on the fringes right now. Even with these wins lately, they've got to stack up way more wins before you start to think, okay, this is a team that legitimately is in the race. Uh, they just gave away too many points at too many different spots of the season, too many losing streaks, too many skids, not enough of the other direction to make you believe. But right now they are playing pretty well. And you just have to kind of wonder, where was this for more of the season? And is there anything left 
in the tank to get them a little further along. I don't know. I just I look at this team and I'm still just not convinced. They kind of seem like they're stuck in neutral. Kind of this team that's not good enough to make the playoffs, but not really bottoming out. Um, not really a lot of prospects for trading uh, anybody at the deadline because of all the the, mo- the no move contracts. So these next few weeks will tell us a little bit of something about what they want this season to be, what this season st- even still can be. Even if they want this to be something else, it might be too little, too late. But Giving themselves at least more of a chance since the All Star break, you know, it's kind of that lackluster win right out of, right out of the gate against Chicago, but some better play since then, some better win since then. The win at Vegas certainly qualifies as that. Vegas, one of the better teams in the West, defending Cup champions, things like that. If the Wild can in any way bottle that performance, and again, I don't know if they can or not. I don't know if they've been consistent enough to make me think they can do this more frequently. But if they can bottle that, maybe, maybe we can start to pay more attention to them. But for right now, I'm just kind of treating this as a, hey, you played well one night. You've played a good few games here to get yourself back into feeling good about yourself. I think Philip Gustafson said it right at the end of Sarah McClellan's game story when he said, we can't really look at the standings yet. We just need to find two points as many times as we can, and we'll see where we end up when these 30 games are up. That's about where I am with them, too. I'm not believing yet, but I'm saying, hey, if you can play like this, maybe give me another 10 or 15 games, and I might start to see where this could go. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation, that incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino, let your story begin. It's time to talk Vikings. It's officially the off-season. It's officially time for... You know, time time to talk about the money. Let's play it right now. Where's the money, Brzezinski? Ben Gessling joins me because no one loves to talk salaries more than Ben, and no one's better at talking about it than Ben, Star Tribune beat writer for the Vikings. Ben, how are you? I'm doing well, Mike. It's uh, it's that time of year. It's time to break out your abacus and, <laughs> and start to get your slide rule and whatever else you need for uh, doing not super high-level math, but higher-level math than... We have to do the rest of the year. I guess we'd put it that way. But Rob Brzezinski isn't using an abacus in a slide rule, is he? That'd be no, weird. probably not. Probably not. He'd, probably an Excel spreadsheet. Or that would, yeah, probably that'd be more likely. To that effect. That said, there's always something for him to do this time of year. Always like a question of how things fit together. This off season, interesting. Um, maybe in ways that other off seasons haven't been, just because they go into this with Kirk Cousins not under contract that has not been the case in a lot of these past off seasons they've kind of known where they stand even if there's a question of how long how much things like that they have to make a decision really ben in the yeah. next month the new league year starts march 13th and basically the way we read it they they're going to kind of know whether they they kind of have to decide and and if they decide one way or the other they have to agree with kirk cousins on a contract before March 13th, before the new league year starts because of the way this thing is structured right now. Yeah, so the way that this thing works right now is he has four void years in his deal, which basically allowed them to spread money in his contract into the future. If he is not back on a new deal by March 13th, uh, 
all four of those void years hit at once. So that would be a total bill of $28.5 million on their 2024 salary cap if he does not have a new deal by the last day of the league year. That's the way the contract reads, is if he is if he is on the roster on this contract on the last day of the league year, March 13th, all four of the final years of the deal become null and void without any further notification. Nobody has to do anything else. That just happens automatically. So if the Vikings are to sign him, they need to have it done before March 13th. If they do, only this year's void money, only this year's dead money, whatever you want to call it, hits the cap. And and for him, that would be $10.25 million dollars in addition to whatever new money they give him. So basically 18 and a quarter million of that dead money would get pushed down the road if they sign him for a deal for this year. So there are ways to spread this out. There are probably ways to structure a new contract for him that actually have the same or maybe even a little bit lower cap number in 2024 than he would have had on the dead money. But they have to get that done in the next month if they want to have any benefit of massaging some of that cap hit and, and figuring out where it goes. So that's a pretty clear, like if you're thinking about arguments for Kirk Cousins, one of them is that he's been a productive quarterback. He's, you know, he's an above average quarterback. I know he's coming off the Achilles, but you know, he's been dancing around. It seems like he's okay, um, at least relatively physically ready to go and will be ready to go by the start of you know, camp certainly, but also all the off-season stuff. So if if you're saying it's going to cost you the same cap-wise to have Kirk Cousins play for you in 2024 as it was to have was to have Kirk Cousins not play for you, that seems to be a logical reason to keep him. But there's a flip side of that argument that at a certain point, you're kind of pushing more money down the road, down the road, yeah. and do you need to reset at a certain point? So how do you kind of see that, those kind of two arguments or two sides of this equation working out? Well, my sense is this is the exact discussion, argument, however you want to put it, probably depending on the day, that the Vikings are having right now. The the pro or the on the side of keep Kirk Cousins, it's this is a guy that has run your offense. This is a guy that knows a scheme that, as we've seen, can be very difficult to run. This is a guy that understands the complexities that it requires of the quarterback and has shown that he can do it at a pretty high level. Well, certainly looked like he was making the jump, or at least showing hints of that. I mean, we shouldn't dismiss the fact that they were 1-4 and four at the beginning of the season. Now, he was playing pretty well during that time, and, and was playing pretty well when he got hurt. So the argument to keep him would be, he knows what he's doing in your offense. You can probably sign him to a deal that would not be much more expensive than what you have this year. The idea that he needs to get $45 million a year guaranteed, I, I don't think there's any truth to that. I don't think that's what he's looking for. I think guaranteed money certainly is important to him, but I don't think he is looking to break the bank and be at the very, very top of the quarterback market with this deal. So there, I think, will be room to work with him on that side of things. And then if you get him, you have kind of what I think they want, or at least what some people in the organization want, which is you have a veteran quarterback and then you potentially have the opportunity to get a young quarterback in here to learn underneath him and have a little bit of time to grow, which we've seen that recipe used to 
command the NFC North for the last 30 years. And we all know what I'm talking about. The flip side to that is this is not 2008 when Aaron Rodgers was on a seven-year or six-year deal or whatever it was from the Packers. The rookie deals are five years. If you take a a quarterback in the first round, you get five years to control this guy, which means you get five years of this quarterback surplus where you might hit a guy that's playing at a $35, $40 million a year level and you're paying him $7 million. That is a real thing, and, and we've seen teams use that to great benefit, the 49ers are using it right now with Brock Purdy, where you're getting high-level quarterback play, maybe not top-of-the-league quarterback play, as we saw with Patrick Mahomes. That's the standard. But you can get really good quarterback play at a fraction of the cost. And if you keep Cousins and draft a quarterback, it means you have fewer years of that surplus. You, you're you not ripping the Band-Aid with the money with Cousins, and you're using one of those cheap quarterback years for a rookie to have them learn under Cousins and, and not really kind of get the chance to, to play and start. So there are, I think, compelling arguments to go both ways. Um, financially, I think there's an argument to be made if you're saying we want to reset this thing and have as much flexibility as possible, you could make the argument that let's just rip the Band-Aid and move on. And, and I think there is some discussion in the building of, is that the best thing to do? I, I know there's some discussion about we could come back and be awfully competitive if Kirk Cousins is healthy, given what he's shown he can do in the offense. So that basically is the decision they're going to have to agree on in the next month. Kind of feels like their ideal scenario would be, and I've, I've written about this and talked about this, to invent a time machine and go back to one year ago right now and somehow get Kirk Cousins to agree to probably the exact deal that he wants right now, which would have been a two-year deal then so that there's one year left now. So you still get that one more year of Kirk Cousins quarterbacking at a relatively high level, and you get that draft pick in who doesn't have to play right away but then still has four years left after that. They're not going to invent a time machine. I don't think that I don't think time travel is part of their offseason plan. So it's is it is it is the sticking point still kind of the fact that the framework of any Cousins deal has to be at least two years and whatever that money is, is is kind of hard to reconcile. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's part of it. I think he is going to still want, I mean, he talked about the structure being the most important thing. That, I think, means guaranteed money, which means it, even if it's not top of the market money, it's still going to be substantial. And you're talking guaranteed money, I would think, into 2025. I, I don't think he's coming back here on a one-year deal. I I could see a two-year deal with a fair amount of guaranteed money in it at, say, and I, I'm just spitballing here. I don't know this for sure. So aggregators, calm yourselves. This is a projection. Um, say it's two years, $75 million. Structure it how you like. Um, with, a, with a fair amount of that guaranteed, you can probably structure that in a way that would not like I'm talking about, uh, move the cap number up terribly high this year. But then it means you're pushing that money into 25, and then you still have all of the void money that hits after he's gone as well. So um, there are, I think there are ways to do it, and there are ways to make it work in 24. It would have some costs in 25. Um, They have a better cap picture in 25. They have other business they have to do, as I'm sure we're going to talk about. But 
a lot of the complication becomes if you are still talking about guaranteed money into 2025 for him, which I think you probably would be, even if it's not at a $45, $50 million a year clip, that is still substantial money. And you have to decide how much that changes your plan if, in fact, you go get your rookie quarterback this year and and kind of try to build around him for the future. I want to get back to the cap stuff in a minute, but since we're talking about the rookie quarterback idea, the draft idea, a couple things on that point. One, like if they do sign Cousins sometime in the next month, do you still think they then address quarterback in this year's draft? Do they feel strongly enough about the need to have that succession plan? Do they feel strongly enough about the crop of quarterbacks that they might be able to get? How do you think that that kind of weighs out? Like I think it's pretty obvious if they don't, sign cousins it, they're going to draft somebody they're going to figure they're yeah. going to figure something out if they do sign cousins what do you think is the what do you think is the, kind of the thinking there well I, yeah i think there's a very good possibility that they sign cousins and still say we're going to go draft a quarterback i think they feel pretty strongly about the number of good options in this quarterback class i don't know that you would say the same for 2025 and this is again just me looking at it um aggregators i don't know anything for sure but regulators I, aggregators as you well we've had some aggregate up um, yeah aggregate they've, up. Had, they've done some things this soft season where it's like that's not what i said so um just putting in the disclaimers ahead of time yeah. but i think they there is a feeling in that building that this is a unique quarterback class and this is one of those that if you have a need you need to do what you can to get somebody and make that player the the kind of guy you build around. Now, I've said before, and I continue to believe this is the case, I don't think they're going to go just take, well, who's the next guy on the shelf? They're not going to go the Rick Spiel, Christian Ponder (laughs) route. So that leaves you with, if we want to go get our guy, we are spending draft capital to go get that guy, even if that guy is sitting behind Kirk for a year or two. And that is where the tension comes in, is you then start to say, okay, we're going to spend this much on Kirk Cousins and we're going to spend this much to go get a guy that we're not going to play right away, that seems like a really big investment at that position. So if if the thought process of rip the Band-Aid, move on, go bring your next guy in and, and roll with him wins out, I could see it being for that reason because it is a lot to invest in that position when there are other big contracts to do and there are a lot of needs to fill now, I was making an assumption for a little while here that because the top three picks in the draft are held by quarterback needy teams, yeah. the Bears, Washington, and New England, that they're going to be hard-pressed to get one of those top three guys that have been established, you know, Caleb Williams, Drake May, and uh, Jaden Daniels. Now, yeah. saw some stuff from the Super Bowl that maybe suggests the Patriots at number three aren't necessarily in love with... Uh, having to spend that pick on a quarterback and could be moved to address that in free agency instead. And, and that might be a, a possible trade partner. Then you're getting probably the third of the three, but if, if you like that guy enough, that would make sense. Um, that that's, the best, that's, that's kind of the problem to me though, is if, if you think those three are kind of the gettable or the, the, the ones that you would make the trades for, but they're not going to be available. A, you know, is that still potentially possible? Or B, how do you feel about kind of that next wave? The Like you said, you're not just going to take the next one on the shelf, but do they like 
JJ McCarthy enough? Do they like Bo Nix enough? Do they like Michael Penix Jr. enough to be, to to say okay, like they're not this they're not they're not up here with this group, but we think there's something there where this can be our franchise quarterback anyway. Well, that's going to be one of the big questions I think to figure out is is how do they feel about those players? I mean, JJ McCarthy, you know, doesn't have the big arm, but certainly has played in a scheme that would project fairly well to what the Vikings do. Um, how did they feel about him beyond that? I think we'll have a better sense of that in the next few weeks to the next you know month, month and a half here. Um, I don't know that you're taking one of those guys at 11. I think in that scenario, maybe you're moving back and saying, let's get some more assets. And, you know, maybe you're coming back doing the Teddy Bridgewater approach, coming back into the first round to take the guys that you have a fifth year option to have another year to evaluate them, have another year of cost control at the position, um, you know, maybe it's Knicks, Penix, um, McCarthy. Maybe that's a second round option too. Um, in that case, it's it's cheaper. You have one less year to control them and one less year to make the decision, I suppose. But um, I suppose you could go that route as well. Um, I will be very, very curious to find out what they think of those guys and probably whether they think Jaden Daniels projects into how they want to play how much will they change the offense or how much would they change the offense if Jaden Daniels is here because the speed the arm strength those things are are very evident um he has not probably played in a system that requires him to throw with anticipation to make decisions in timing uh in the way that the Vikings want to do it so I'm curious how that would all project for them in their offense and how they would feel about him. If if he's the guy sitting there that you could trade up to get, do they feel strongly enough about him to go make the move for him? I I think there's a possibility they would, but I don't, again, don't know that for sure. I, I know they have been, I mean, they have certainly done work on Williams in May dating back to last year. And I, I continue to think Drake May, if he were available for them, would be a very attractive solution. Um, that would be the one that if I was placing a bet at the moment, and this is not a strong bet at the moment, but uh, if I was placing a bet of this is the guy they they push a lot of chips in for, I would think Drake May makes the most sense there. So um, how does the rest of that class shake out if all of those top three guys are gone and they're sitting there at 11 trying to make a decision about do we move back or or do we just take the next one off the board? Um yeah, that is going to be one of the big questions to determine in the next month because they still need they need a corner, they need an edge rusher, they could use a defensive tackle. Um, yeah, there there are a lot of places that could use help. They got a lot of needs to think about trading up that high and mortgaging stuff for the future, especially if they re-sign Cousins. I feel like if they re-sign Cousins, if he wants to be here, if they find a workable two-year solution, that to me is a signal that they're not going to trade up. I, yeah. I I just feel like you you couldn't reconcile both those things. You can't invest like you were saying. You can't invest all of that, the money, the resources, the draft picks, and then say, yeah, but then this guy who we picked in the top five is going to sit for two years at least. Yeah, I mean it, it would be tricky to do it. I'm mean, now the 49ers, I guess, did it with with Trey Lance, and maybe some of that wrote its own story by the way <laughs> right. Trey Lance looked and injuries and ineffectiveness and all of those sorts of things. It's all that is to say it's not without some precedent that you would do that, but it, it I grant it would be very strange um, 
to take a quarterback that high. I mean, the thing with, you know, we bring up the Packers having done this. I do think it's a different thing when you take a guy at 24, 25, and he's sitting behind a Hall of Famer than it is if you take a guy at five or three and he's sitting behind a longtime successful Pro Bowl NFL starter, but not a guy that you would sit there and talk about as a gold jacket. I, I do think there is a different um level of goodwill that the starter has in the Packers type situations than you might have in this one, or maybe even the level of goodwill that the rookie is probably a better way to put it. The rookie yeah. would not come in with the same expectations as a guy that's drafted that high. The questions about when's he going to play, the questions about um are, are you going to make a switch if Cousins has a bad game? Um those things would not I don't I don't think those things would look the same in this situation as they would have with the Packers when they did it with Favre and Rodgers. One more thing about this then we'll get to the more of the cap stuff because that's really interesting too, but this is all related to it. Obviously the quarterback is the big kind of domino in a lot of this cap stuff. If there is some tension right now in kind of what they should do, um a, like how where does ownership fit into that and kind of their desire to not ever really have a terrible season, kind of this whole competitive rebuild idea that that Quasi talks about, but is also at least partially fueled by what the Wilfs want. And I guess kind of end of the day, like what do you think happens? What if if you're kind of handicapping this right now, is a cousin's return like more than fifty percent likely at this point? Well, as far as what the Wilfs want to do, I mean, I, I think it will depend in part on how how you know, we've talked about this this desire to be competitive a lot. And Quasey said it at his season ending press conference. Nobody has ever told me that we can't have a year where we take a step back. I do think there would be a little he'd have to probably say, OK, this is going to be to our benefit in the not too distant future in a way that we haven't been able to do through two years of doing it this way. Um, it would probably take a little bit of a sell job to do it that way. I, I don't know that it's an entirely impossible that they would do that. And I, I wonder if they, I mean, I heard this last year that they were intrigued by this notion of let's get a rookie quarterback and we have some cost savings and we can use the rest of that money to build out the rest of our roster. Um, as far as what I think happens, this is such an interesting question because you have to determine the cousins part of it first. I mean, yes, you do. Can't say no to him with this idea that okay, we're going to go up and get Drake May at number two without having a trade in place or having a lot of confidence that you have a trade basically lined up. I, if I had to bet right now, I would bet they bring Cousins back and draft a quarterback whether that's moving up or you know the possibility of the the um that, that second tier that you go into the second yeah. round and that's that's not like a strong notion of it right at the moment but i i think there's enough interest in the cousins thing of bringing him back and and kind of building this succession plan off of him um, that if I had to to go with my gut right now, that would be what I would say would happen. Now, 
I also, like I said, I don't think they're going to just take anybody at quarterback. So they're going to have to have a lot of this determined, even kind of a, a framework for what they think of the rest of those quarterbacks by the time that they come to the negotiating table with cousins and his, his representatives. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the ideal plan could be very, very expensive at quarterback, at least for this year, maybe even for next year. But, um, I think there is interest in the organization in having that cousins and then a smooth succession plan with a, with a little bit of time for, the next guy to develop the other thing i would be very interested in in a cousin's contract he's had no trade clauses in the past including Mm -hmm. his most recent deal does he get another one of those as part of this because then that changes a lot i mean if you were to sign him and then draft somebody and then you feel like in 2025 this guy's ready to go we can trade kirk and get something for him that changes a lot if he's got a no trade so I will be very interested as well to see if he would have the leverage to get one of those again from the Vikings. Yeah, that's a great point because that that does change things. You're right. That means that even if you're committing to him for a couple of years right now, if he doesn't have the no trade, you could kind of essentially treat this as a one a potential one year deal. But you would have the two yeah. year you'd have the two years there if you didn't feel like your quarterback was ready. Royal Credit Union smart checking accounts offer no monthly fees and no minimum balance. Enjoy financial freedom when you open your Royal Credit Union smart checking account online at rcu.org slash go checking insured by NCUA. This is not the only question of the offseason. You got Daniil Hunter is a free agent. Justin Jefferson needs an extension. How feasible is doing all this with the amount of cap space they do have? Yeah, I mean, they they are in a better spot than they've been in the past. I mean, they're they're, I think, about 15th in the league in terms of available cap space right now. So, you know, kind of sitting with, I I think 24 million in space. And then, you know, over the cap talks about this concept of effective cap space. Yeah. What is that? So basically what that means is if you assume they filled every open spot they have on the roster with, um, league minimum players basically you you sign your rookie class and then fill out the roster to 90 because i mean you could say a team has oh you know like the commanders have 73 million dollars in cap space per over the cap well that's great but they have 50 players under contract so assuming that you have a 90 man roster in the offseason and only the, the top 51 count so basically the commanders would have their rookie class and then um however many other ones you need to get to 90, but you only top, count the top 51 of those in the offseason. So basically what it means is the cap space that you have once you fill out your roster, okay. or at least the ones that count against the cap. So it, it's a way of saying, yeah, there's there's a top-line number here in terms of available space, but they also have other needs. So um, it, it's kind of a way to equate for that. And in the effective cap space, the Vikings are about 19.5, which again okay. is like right in the middle of the league. So they're not in a terrible spot. And a lot of that is because they last year said, we are not going to do June 1st cuts for guys like Adam Thielen or Eric Hendricks. We are just going to take the hits this year, take the dead money hits this year and move on. Um, <clears throat> Daniel Hunter, I think is going to be a tough one 
Um, I think he is going to go in trying to get paid. I think he will have a market and there will be some teams with some money that will come after him. So if you are looking at that and saying 29 year old Ed rusher coming off the best year of his career, that's shown he can play in a four, three and a three, four, um, that's going to be costly. So that one, I think is, that will be a hard job to try to do that. If you are signing all of these other guys. So um, how all of that shakes out, we'll have to see, but you know, it, there's a little better history of doing business with, you know, a guy like Kirk cousins. than there is with a guy like Daniel Hunter and how much that plays into it. If you, if you wave the offer in front of him that he wants, um, you know, that, that may not, none of that history may matter, but, I do wonder how much of a chance they'll have to bring him back. Now, Jefferson's another big one. I mean, this is an extension off a rookie contract, yeah. so it's it's going to happen at some point, but he also has a certain, maybe leverage is the wrong term, but he's got you know a stake at least a little bit in who throws him the ball, and he's not been shy to say, you know, hey, I really like Kirk Cousins, and Jordan Addison was on this show last week saying, yeah. hey, Kirk's not good. Kirk is great. Like, you know, just watch him play. Watch the film. Um, no, I think Jefferson was on sometimes sometime during the Super Bowl week talking about, hey, you know, I'm, I'm still going to be me no matter who's throwing the ball, things like that. Yeah. So it's not like end of the world. Like, he's not going to be like, no, I'm not, I'm not signing my extension if Kirk's not here. But it's an interesting dynamic, especially as you, as you think about how much money he's going to command and how happy you want your best player to be. Yeah. I mean, I, I think all of that is worth considering. I would be really, really surprised if that deal got done. I mean, they just have other things to do as well, but I would think Justin Jefferson would want to know who's throwing him the ball before he signs that contract. And I, he certainly is pro Kirk cousins. He's made no secret of that. And you hear that behind the scenes as well, that he really likes Kirk. Is that going to mean, um, if he goes, I go, I, I don't know that it will come to that. I don't necessarily think it will get to that point. I, I would be surprised if an offer gets put in front of him and he says, you know what, I'm not signing this because you didn't bring Kirk back. I, I just, I think cooler heads will prevail on that, but I think he's going to have to have some level of confidence in the quarterback plan before he, he signs a deal. I mean, he'd have to like, the idea of where they're going, um, you know, maybe there's a rookie in the building by that point. I mean, I think this is probably a training camp type time frame for that. So that maybe takes care of itself at that point. But yeah, I would think he'd want to know who's throwing in the ball because I mean, he talks a lot about Hall of Fame and trying to break records and all those types of things. And the next few years of his career are going to have a lot to say about how successful he is in doing that. He's broken records every year to this point, even with the, uh, the hamstring injury that cost him about half the season this year. But if you're not in an effective situation, and I also think he wants to win. I mean, you could see some of those games at the end of the season, how much the losing was grating on him. Um, yeah, I think he'll want to feel good about where the quarterback situation is going before he puts pen to paper on a contract. It's a fascinating offseason, Ben Gessling. It's just getting started. I mean, we've been talking about this for a month, but now that the Super Bowl is over, it feels like these are more real, tangible questions. I mean, new league years in a month. Like they got yeah. it's business, it's business time now. Yeah, the deadlines are are approaching, and that usually has a way of getting things to pick up the pace. So we're getting to that point. 
Well, I hope you are able to get some semblance of downtime, but I know when there's a quarterback market out there, it might be easier said than done. But I do appreciate your time today, and I'm sure we'll talk not too long from now. All right. Sounds good, Mike. We'll talk to you soon. Great stuff from Ben. As always, he will have you covered along with the rest of our excellent Vikings writers here at the Star Tribune as we kind of unfold everything that's going to happen this offseason. I think it's fascinating. It doesn't seem like they're even necessarily leaning in one direction. It doesn't even necessarily seem like everybody is quite on the same page yet when it comes to what they're going to do. And the timing of all this is the most interesting thing, right? They've got to, they're going to know about Kirk Cousins long before the draft. Kind of would prefer it to be the other way around, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to go into the draft first and not have to deal with free agency first to know if you've got the quarterback you want and then make that decision on Kirk Cousins? They are not going to have that luxury, and that is one other wrinkle that makes this offseason so fascinating. Let's quickly finish with the cooler. Our Phil Miller caught up with Twins president Dave St. Peter to talk about the Twins going back to Bally Sports North in 2024. There will not be a standalone streaming option in 2024, even though the Twins seem to have said that was going to be part of what they were going to do. It remains part of what they wanted to do, and at least Dave St. Peter was honest about it when Phil asked him about it. Dave said, we're happy to be back with Valley Sports North. We know they'll do a tremendous job in 2024. At the same time, we know it's not a perfect outcome for anyone acknowledging we're already working on 2025. We're sensitive to the fact that some of our fans are finding it difficult to watch our games, and we want to rectify that as soon as we can. Now, the difficult part, like I said, is that a lot of people want this kind of standalone option where you pay for just Twins games or just sports at a lower cost than bundling all these channels together and having to pay for things you don't watch. Twins are probably going to be in that spot in 2025 when they can offer that, but they aren't there in 2024. Now, you can have one more year where you're not offering that. You wonder how many fans you're losing in the process. They have to wonder that. At the end of the day, they their calculus told them they got to take this deal, take the money, even if it means no streaming. I still don't quite get why you can't stream on Bally Sports North for one year. They have the capability, but I have to imagine part of that is maybe Bally wants a longer commitment if you're going to do that, if you're going to give them the rights for one year. And I don't think Major League Baseball wants to do that. Maybe the Twins would, but maybe Major League Baseball doesn't want to do that. So people keep asking me how much money the Twins are getting. We don't know that either. That has not been revealed, as, as Phil wrote in the story. We're going to work on trying to figure that out. How much less than the $54 million they got last year are they getting this year? What's this deal worth to them? I'm fascinated to find that out because they have used this as a real answer for why their payroll is down by about $25 million. I want to know how big that gap really is, and that's something we're going to work to find out throughout the course of this season. That will do it for me today. Randy Johnson on the show tomorrow to talk go for hockey, maybe a little go for football too. I want to pick his brain on just the the mini saga over the weekend of UCLA, PJ Fleck, things like that. Obviously nothing to it at this point, but what what that whole process was like and what PJ Fleck is maybe thinking at this point in his Gophers tenure. Until then, I am Michael Rand. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. Back at it again tomorrow. <laughs>